Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, January 14th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. We'll wrap up the college football season. We'll talk about Brad's initial preparations for the 2021 college football season. And, of course, take a look here at the four NFL games in the divisional round, Rams, Packers, Ravens, Bills, Browns, Chiefs, and Buccaneers versus Saints. Over at ATS.io, we got previews on all four of those games, along with a lot of coverage in college basketball, in the NBA, and of course the NHL starting last night with some pretty high-scoring games. We got lots of coverage of that over at the website for you to check out. Legal sports betting industry news, some good numbers coming out of Indiana and Iowa that I wrote about over at the website this morning. And of course, as always, we keep up on the latest sportsbook promotions Good stuff this week from DraftKings, from PointsBet, BetMGM. You can read about those over at ATS.io in our sportsbook promotion section. And of course, because we engage in the affiliate side of the business, you can sign up through ATS.io and get some of those excellent deposit bonuses that are out there in the legal sports betting industry. While you're over at ATS.io, click on the ATS app page, read about it, know about it, and then download that app which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website. It's also a bet tracker and an odd screen. Statistical database that will help you with your handicapping of the games and the opportunity to buy a subscription to our premium model, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month to get those picks. So the ATS app is a very, very helpful handicapping tool right there at your fingertips. Again, you can download that from the Google Play Store or from the Apple Store, and check out how helpful that app can be today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. And Brad, how's it going today, man? That's going well. How you doing? Doing all right. You know, I, I wish the national championship game would have gone a little bit differently for Ohio State, but, you know, we kind of saw right away in that game, especially with Trey Sermon going out on the second play, being hurt on the first play, it was going to be an uphill climb for the Buckeyes, and it certainly wound up going in that direction as Alabama won, covered, and covered comfortably. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, you hope Trey Sermon's all right, but as we move towards, you know, player props and stuff, I mean, that, that wasn't a great look for, you know, anybody that bet Trey Sermon props, and that was me included. Uh, so that, that, that was dealing with some losses immediately right out of the gate didn't help matters and Ohio state, you know, did as best they could probably the first 20, 25 minutes of the game, but you almost got to play a perfect game for, you know, to beat the, this Alabama team who, you know, when they're on firing on all cylinders on offense, it's almost a perfect offense. So uh, yeah, disappointing championship game in that I expected a much more competitive game. I expected it to kind of play out like the first 20, 25 minutes. I thought Alabama would win in the end, but I thought Ohio state could, could cover the spread you know, after having a, a good college football season, the, the championship game didn't go, didn't go so well in the player prop market and also the side. So as we look at Alabama, and I've seen a lot of people talking about this here, you know, where do you rank this 2020 version of the Crimson Tide? You know, I've been doing, I've been publishing my own power ratings, you know, just for the last six years. Uh, I, you know, I was involved with power ratings, you know, five, six years prior to that. But as far as my own personal ratings, I have Alabama. This year's Alabama team is the best year, best team ever. 
Uh, I, I'd favor them by three over last year's LSU team. Although, I mean, there's a little bit of an asterisk uh, with Alabama with it being a COVID season. They're probably more, uh, you know, th- I would say more capable of handling everything that, that went on, but you know, that they, they still, still dealt with a lot of issues, you know, just like every other team. But I, I just think from a, a coaching perspective, offensive perspective, the fact that he didn't play any FCS teams or any group of five teams, they played 13 power five teams, you know, SEC teams. And then, you know, on top of it, Notre Dame and Ohio state. So yeah, I, I have this year's Alabama team as, you know, the, the best team I've ever power rated and, you know, LSU from last year is the second best team. So here's a question for you, you know, as I'm sort of thinking a little bit here about, you know, going forward with college football, one of the things that really stood out to me, and I talked about this on last week's shows quite a bit, you know, I thought Clemson's game plan was, was rather poor for the semifinal. They didn't really do anything Ohio State wasn't expecting. They didn't really do anything to give Trevor Lawrence a good opportunity to beat the Buckeyes in that game. What we saw with Alabama was motion all over the field, a bunch of quick throws, putting the ball in Devontae Smith's hands at any possible juncture. And, you know, it was something that everybody kind of kept wondering about on Twitter was, you know, how does Ohio State keep getting caught with linebackers, slow white dudes on Devontae Smith? You know, how does that keep becoming a thing play after play after play? And I think about what Coastal Carolina did this year where – They used a ton of pre-snap motion, got the defense kind of all out of sorts. Then you put it on your quarterback to find that mismatch, to find that guy who's paired up against a linebacker or against a safety or something like that. Lots of mesh concepts, lots of picks. Sometimes they're called, sometimes they're not. I, I just sort of look at everything that happened here over the course of the college football season, the hiring direction for offensive coordinators and stuff like that. And it just makes me sort of wonder here, Brad, and Maybe you'll do this as you're kind of wrapping up the season, but you know I feel like college football is just going to continue to be even more high scoring yeah. as we go forward here because we know there's a copycat theory in the NFL. Everyone kind of followed Sean McVay and some of those other you know trailblazing coaches. It's got to happen here in college football to the point where I don't know how many of these defenses going forward are really going to have a chance. Well, I mean, look at Nick Saban. I mean, he even mentioned it earlier this season after the Georgia game. Because at the time, Georgia was thought to have, you know, the best defense in college football. And Nick Saban, a defensive guy, his whole career, I mean, 40-plus year career, uh, it said, you know, I, I used to be a great defense could beat a great offense. It's completely opposite now. A great offense beats a great defense, and it really isn't close anymore. So, uh yeah, I think it's trending that way. I mean, I, college football cyc- cyclical. Uh, I mean, eventually, I think defenses – you know, I'll catch up a little bit, but you know, when you run more plays, when you have more efficiencies and, and the analytics are becoming more and more prominent in college football, I mean, we've just seen that the game, uh, you know, I mean, you look 40 years ago, I mean, the average score was, you know, total score was in the forties, low forties. And now your average score in college football is in the upper fifties. Uh, and I'm, you know, if you were to ask me 10 years from now, what would be the average score? Probably low sixties. Uh, it's going to continue to, to, to climb who will have the the ultimate advantage. I think it comes down to one position, the quarterback. And we just, I mean, that's not going to change. Although I think from a consistency aspect, the team that can consistently still win the line of scrimmage, I'm not saying they can win a national championship, but if you're looking for programs that can consistently win, I don't think that's going to change ever in football. It's still 
you know, as far as most teams, 90% of college football, it's still a line of scrimmage game. It's just that the elite of the elite, like in Alabama, just have, you know, the, the guys on the perimeter are just basically when you have a great scheme and Alabama has that certainly on offense and you got five-star players. I mean, there's nothing really you can do on the defense side of the ball. And the thing that's concerning for me is, you know, the, the high octane eye popping offensive teams, there's a premium on them in the market, just inherently, yeah. you know, from a, a season win total standpoint, you know, just from a, a game to game spread standpoint, obviously the totals certainly a little bit higher as well. But as I start thinking about what I'm going to focus on here, and I probably won't get to too much college football, uh, you know, until over the summer because of everything that I do with baseball. Yep. But you know, what I start thinking about is these teams that, that have these types of offenses that have that quarterback that, you know, have, younger offensive coordinators that aren't going to sit there and play just this generic pro style offense or just this super generic spread. You know, we see so much more empty backfield in college football. And of course, a lot more in the NFL too. I just feel like as I start thinking of my thoughts for the 2021 season, start kind of processing them, I am going to heavily weigh offense over defense. And I've seen some people in the NFL this year that I really, really respect sort of saying, look, there really aren't a whole lot of good NFL defenses. It's just a defense that looks good because of a bad offense. And I wonder if college football is going in that same direction. So as I sort of process my thoughts for the upcoming season, I think I am going to heavily weigh offense a lot more than defense for the next year. And you know, that's not any sort of you know landmark or groundbreaking analysis. It's just simply to say that it is an offensive game. And I think we will yep. continue to see that play out. Yeah, so that's why I like doing your show. I mean, you, you give me thinking of the stuff that, that I don't normally think. Yeah, I, I'm already more offense than defense, may, maybe not enough. Uh, I, you know, if, if it was, you know, 50 50 would be, you know, equal weight, I think I'm more like 57 43. Do I need to go to 60 40 on that or, you know, even maybe a little bit more? Probably. Uh, I agree with your assessment there that I need to value more offensive driven teams because I'll be perfectly frank. I, you know, a lot of these teams are expensive in the market and I just, I'm not betting Alabama on a week in and week out basis. And, and maybe, you know, I should be because they these teams cover left and right LSU last year, Alabama this year. And I just, I, I don't see myself playing on it because I think it's public. I think it's expensive. And yet, even though you're paying premiums on these teams, they still cover and cover with margins. So yeah, it is something I'm going to have to look to adjust in my power ratings moving forward. I don't want to make too many tweaks because I just had a really good season as far as my power ratings. But yeah, at least at the top of college football, and I did tweet this out a couple of days ago. I mean, the separation so big between, you know, the top two or three teams and everybody else that, you know, at least I got to make some adjustments at the top of college football. I think on the whole, I think I'm okay. But, but those outliers is what I'm really struggling with right now. And I just think in a lot of cases, these defenses just don't have a prayer. You know, I mean, these these coordinators are so busy trying to teach scheme and, you know, just trying to sort of coach these guys up as much as they can that nobody in college football can tackle anymore. You know, there's so many bad tackling angles, yep. missed tackles that lead to explosive plays, all of that. I think that the best coaches, or at least the coaches that we want to try to back, are the ones that are going to understand going forward we're probably not going to shut teams down. So we need to score with them or outscore them. And there will of course be outliers, you know, specifically in certain conferences where you do have a team that's, you know, much, much better defensively than another, but simply that 
you know, I, again, I think that it's just such an offense-driven game now. And, you know, you even think about some teams that made bowl games this year that, you know, really haven't for, for a longer period of time. You know, Ball State, I mean, they got there with offense. UTSA, they got there with offense. You know, they got they had one of the most productive running games in all of college football, ran a little bit of tempo early on, found something that worked for them in that spread running game and all of that. You know, I think that, you know, you don't get a team that all of a sudden steps up defensively, winds up having a landmark year. The teams that come from off the pace to be, you know, kind of at the forefront do so because they get better on offense. Yep. So I think that's something that we really have to take a look at here, but whether it's a coordinator hire, uh, you know, a quarterback transfer, or just a guy who's going to be a new starter or a holdover starter that improved greatly, you know, from year one to year two or year two to year, two to year three, something like that. I think as we start looking at the future here, it is about offense. And that's something that brings me to uh, a philosophy that you have. You know, at the end of the year, you regrade every game. You regrade every performance. And in fact, you do that over the course of the season as well. But I think it's a really good practice to get into if you have the time. Because, you know, some games, some wins that looked really good early in the year wind up not meaning much late in the year or vice versa. Yeah, certainly a win over Michigan uh, <laughs> looked much better, you know, in, in uh, October than it did come late November. Uh, so yeah, you, you need to, you know, maybe you know, like Wisconsin dominated Michigan. I mean, it was not even a contest. So uh, you know, typically maybe you're upgrading Wisconsin several points. Reality was Wisconsin was maybe average to above average, and Michigan was just a poor team. So those are the types of games you're looking to go back through. Uh, if you have time and maybe you, you, you're more of a football guy than, than, than a basketball or a baseball guy, I, I would certainly recommend it. Even if you kept up with power ratings all year, at least go back through and see and look for so, sort of the games. And, and if you don't want to regrade every team and every game, look for the teams that, 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 you know, increased or decreased the most in your power ratings and, you know, and look at who they played and maybe you can do some regrading. I mean, I find from time to time, you know, my power end of season power rating can change on a team, a couple of points, uh, you know, nothing significant. Cause I really keep up with it during the season. And this year helped me cause there was like 250 less games to grade, but uh, yeah, you can, you can find some outliers, especially a, a team that, that played, you know, two or three of those teams that were outliers, whether they were good or bad. And yeah, you can end up changing a, your power rating, you know, a few points and nothing significant, but hell, I mean, g- give me a couple points of, CLV uh, on a team or whatnot and see what, you know, I, I can obviously win more than I can lose. Well, we'll certainly have plenty of time to talk about this. And we typically, you know, run your segments through March Madness. So we'll see if we wind up doing that. I know college basketball is sort of a gray area for you right now, trying to decide how much you want to dive into it. But one thing that you could have at your disposal here next week or next month, excuse me, is the FCS. And these are, you know, lower limits, much softer market. Lines will move a ton. Market entry, critically important in every sports betting market, but especially in the FCS. Is it something on your radar, Brad? Is it something that you're thinking about doing next month? It's on my radar. Uh, Have I fully 100% said, hey, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to put time into it. No. Uh, and, And look, I'm a guy that's, you know, you're either all in or you're all out or you just can't win in this industry. And, you know, obviously, you know, right now, college basketball is what I'm starting to, to go full go at. And, you know, I just, there's only 24 hours in a day. And, you know, this is just me personally. 
Uh, I'm a workaholic and, you know, for me to be healthier moving forward as I get older, I, I just, you know, do, do I really want to put in 16, 18 hour days uh, come February and March when I'm coming off of a lot of those types of days for the last four or five months doing regular football? Probably not. But I guess what I'll do is, and I probably shouldn't do this. And I know people are going to beat me to the punch, but I'll probably let the week or two play out. I mean, I just think there's way too much unknown you know, who's going to really want to play? I'm guessing the North Dakota states of the world are the, the teams that are buttoned up. But you can still find value on those teams throughout the course of the season. So I'll probably let a, a week or two play out, see how it goes, see what the handle is as far as, you know, what, what are the, you know, some of the limits. You know, how many books out of 10 are actually offering it? Uh, you know, I'm kind of going to be a wait and see. And, you know, maybe I'm involved later in the season and certainly be involved, you know, once the playoffs hit. I think it's a really good question because, you know, look, I mean, the NBA season, they're, they're getting by as best they can, but lots of COVID cases, lots of things going on kind of behind the scenes. College basketball is making it work again as best they can, but we know that football is the king in this business. And if there's a football game to be bet on, people will bet on it and they won't know a whole hell of a lot about these FCS schools, people that are sharks in the FCS that, you know, always bet that market when it's available during the course of a regular season, then yeah, they're going to be all over it as well. Going to be shaping the market, moving lines, all that kind of thing. But there will be a lot of money coming into that market just because it's a football game. And so I really sort of wonder how that market takes shape. As you said, you know, our teams engaged, what happens, what are some of the COVID protocols for these FCS teams? Yeah. You know, those are a lot of important questions that we see. When are they getting announced? Because, I mean, you right. just don't have the same type of media coverage on that. And I just, I mean, I was pretty good after the start. I didn't have too many games canceled by the end of the season. I kind of figured it out. But, I mean, I had so many bets I thought had value and it just wiped out because of COVID, whether the game was canceled or, or you know, I, I took it on the chin as far as, you know, so, I again, wait and see. I mean, if it was a typical season and I didn't have all these different, you know, variables out there and I feel like I could price it better. I mean, I, I felt I could price a lot of variables in, in college football because that's my number one sport. When you when you get off sport and it's not your main one, man, it's tough for me to, to uh, you know, obviously price some of these. So, you know, do I bet FCS regularly? You know, I, I do dip a toe in it. Uh, but, you know, the, the, that's when I'm not having to worry about a bunch of roster uh, additions or deletions. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be an interesting market and something that, you know, maybe we can revisit here in a few weeks time just to sort of see if you are going to do it, kind of talk about where you think the market may end up being. But, you know, also, too, as you said, you know, uh, being able to step away a little bit, certainly not a bad thing. And, uh, you know, knowing you personally and being your friend for a long period of time, I hope you do get a chance to step away a little bit and, you know, kind of uh, just gather yourself, kind of you know get some of that energy back that you did lose during the season. With that, we got four NFL games here. And right now, I mean, all quiet on the Western front, all quiet on the Eastern front, all quiet pretty much across the board on these games here. We saw some movement Monday and Tuesday. Really not a whole hell of a lot with these games over the last day and a half or so. We start with the Rams-Packers game here, Brad, which this one did get up to seven across a good portion of the market on Wednesday but that was seven plus money, you know, essentially six and a half with extra juice. If you want to think about it that way. And now we are back down to six and a half and a total of 45 and a half, mostly across the board. 
Yeah, so in this one, I, I kind of lean towards the Green Bay side and also the under. You know, first for me, uh, nothing significant as far as a big bet here. Uh, the one thing that, 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 you know, I do like on the Rams side is if you're looking for the Rams historically, they're, they're one of the best road teams in the NFL under head coach Sean McVay. But I also know that Jared Goff, the quarterback, is he's going to be closer to 100%, but he's not going to be 100% coming off that surgery uh, a few weeks ago. And one thing I have seen under Jared Goff, a California kid, then playing too many cold weather games, he has struggled in cold weather in his career. Temperatures 40 degrees or below, five touchdowns, seven interceptions, quarterback ratings several points lower than what it typically is. You know, Green Bay gets a little bit of an added rest there. We'll see if that's a positive or a negative in the COVID season. When you're rolling along like Green Bay, is it a positive or a negative to, to – you know, to have that buy. I, I don't know. I don't have that answer right now. I can make a case for either side, but I, I do lean w- with Green Bay here, minus the six and a half. Also lean under, you know, Rams under has been a really good bet all season. A little bit of fluky scoring last week, put that game over the total against Seattle. Uh, but nothing, nothing like I'm saying game of the year, pounding on the table. You know, this is a great value bet. And that, that's why you don't see much movement, in my opinion, in any of these games. And when you look at Jared Goff here, and and this is starting to get a little bit of run out there in social media circles, and understandably so, this is a guy who's not played much in cold weather. You know, obviously at Cal, he ran into some situations having to play at Colorado or Utah, something like that. But at the NFL level, I think he's only got two games at temperatures below 30 degrees. One of them, he had four interceptions in a game against the Chicago Bears. The other one, he played in Denver. He was 14 to 28 with a pick. Gurley ran for 200, so it kind of, you know, took away some of the heat from Goff, so to speak, in that game. This is not a guy accustomed to playing in the cold weather. And the weather's not going to be bad in Green Bay, but it could be bad for a guy like Goff, who's already dealing with a hand injury. You know, he's been seen in practice, trying to practice with gloves on, all of that. So the Rams, they're going to have to run the football. And they want to run the football anyway, because they don't really – I don't think they trust Jared Goff all that much, despite having Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. They want to run the ball. They get behind in this game, and they do have to throw the ball. That's a big issue for them. So yeah. I think taking that Green Bay pregame position, I think there is you know a, a method to the madness there, so to speak, because if Green Bay is ahead, then they should win and cover this game. If Green Bay is not ahead, then you start wondering if you've got a live betting opportunity, something like that. Don't forget, too, that when we talk about playoff games like this, the market is really tight, really efficient. These numbers are very, very good. You can take a pregame position and then sort of play around with it, do some different middling and some you know, arbitrage opportunities in-game, stuff like that, based on the game flow, based on the game state. If you want to start with something, a smaller position pregame, I don't think that's a bad idea, and I think the under and, and Green Bay would be the ways I would look here as I've kind of processed this game a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with that. And, you know, I'm going to add another one, and I know it's not the, the perfect, uh, you know, scenario for it. I, and we're going to get into the next game here, which would be the second lag. But I know it's not through seven and three, but you, you're only dealt with four games this week. I don't mind. I, I certainly – the biggest position I took was teasing Green Bay down to half. I just – I don't see him losing the game, really, unless Rodgers get, gets hurt. So, I, I did tease Green Bay down. That was the biggest position that I took. All right, so we take a look here at the next game, the late game on Saturday between Baltimore and Buffalo. And uh, this is one where 
the movement may not be of great significance to a lot of people that are out there, but the books are doing the best that they can to not go to Baltimore plus three. Yeah. So we're seeing minus two and a half, <laughs> minus a dollar twenty. And this is up a little bit from starting to see two and a halfs yesterday, but in that minus one ten, maybe a stray minus one fifteen range. Now we're at one twenty. So the books are really trying to protect as much as they can here against Baltimore plus three. Total for for this game is sitting at fifty. What do you think about where the spread is sitting right now, Brad? A good number. I would lean Baltimore. I'm waiting for a rogue three, but I'm sure everybody's waiting for that three to, to pop. So that's some something you're going to be looking at a screen for a long time. Uh, we'll see what, what, what the public ends up doing. Uh, I, I would think that they'd want to lean uh, with the home team. Generally speaking, they've been winning with Buffalo, even though the Bills didn't cover the first time in nine games last week. I, I lean with Baltimore. Am I extremely confident with it? No, but – you know, historically speaking, the Ravens are good on the road. I found this a stat that, that's making the rounds to be amazing. I mean, Harbaugh has more road playoff victories than any coach in NFL history. Uh, and just recently, I mean, the, the last 14 road games, uh, the Ravens have covered 11. I, you know, the one thing I worry about the Bills is, you know, last time they lost the game is when they faced a dual-threat quarterback in Kyler Murray. I know it came down to Hail Mary and whatnot, but – you know, I was right now. I think Lamar Jackson's a more complete quarterback than Kyler Murray in the run and pass game, and the Ravens have the better defense. Uh, it's another one that this was the second leg of my teaser. This is the position I took on Saturday. I teased Green Bay down to a half, and I did tease Baltimore up through those key numbers of three and seven, and, and took them at eight and a half. So the thing about that one is, you know. I understand. You think there's going to be higher variance? I I think so. You know, we we are talking about a game that's, you know, you can tease through that three and seven corridor. And, you know, that's certainly the optimal way to play a teaser, even in this current state of the NFL where games are a little bit higher scoring, still a ton of equity getting three and four, even five is a more important number now with missed extra points, six and seven. Of course, we know how important those two numbers are. I get it. I understand the thought process behind it. I do think this is a higher scoring game where there is a higher level of variance here to this one. And that higher level of variance could simply be Baltimore, you know, doing well with Lamar Jackson, his mobility being a massive factor. I do like Buffalo here, you know, at the two and a half, I would avoid, you know, taking minus three because you've been able to do better pretty much all week here uh, on this game at, you know, minus one and a half, minus two, minus two and a half. Do like Buffalo here. Did take a piece of Buffalo earlier in the week at a minus two at minus minus one ten. I just, I feel like to me, you know, Buffalo played kind of tight, a little bit timid in that game last week. They had gone so long without winning a playoff game, but also a great point that Brian Blessing made on Tuesday's show. And this is one that really fully sold me on Buffalo. Their field position last week was awful. They started one drive outside of their own 25 and it was the 28 yard line. So offensively, they still did pretty well. All things considered, knowing that the field position just was not in their favor really at all in that game. So I think here they can have more success with the field position battle. Jackson is not a good passing quarterback if it comes down to that in the second half. So I do like Buffalo here minus the two and a half, but I understand where you're coming from too with the Baltimore teaser leg. Did we have a dinner bet on Baltimore last week? We didn't. Uh, not Baltimore, Buffalo. Uh, didn't. You you talked out of it. I talked. Yeah, I talked myself out of it. And, and All right. See how it is. 
in yeah. retrospect, you know, I think about that game last week and it didn't register at the time. And of course, you know, hindsight always 2020. We were paying a little bit of a premium on Buffalo in that game. I, I think yeah. the line value. I tried to bring it up later in this. Like we started talking another game and I started looking at lines. I'm like, my goodness, I think you are paying a premium. And, and I wish I would have taken a stronger position on Indy, but uh, I think one thing, you know, I'll say is it's tough getting in front of a streak. I mean, when you got a team that's covered eight in a row and it wasn't anything fluky in that streak, I mean, they were covering the bills and covering by a margin. I mean, I could see it, but I I thought you were paying a couple points even of premium. And that just usually isn't the case this time of year in the NFL. Yeah. Now you got a Baltimore team that's covered seven in a row, but yeah, but who have they played? I mean, I could punch. See, that's the thing. I mean, I get on here and say, Oh, I lean Baltimore and this and that, but I, at this point in the NFL, and this is why we haven't seen too much line movement. I could punch a hole in any one of these handicaps. So uh, yeah, I, I'm worried that they really haven't played anybody. One thing I do like is, Hey, it could have been chicken little sky is falling. Woe is me last week when they're down 10, nothing. Then you got Lamar Jackson. He can't win a playoff game. And for the fact that they're on the road and they dominate that game from that point forward, that, that I really like seeing that out of the Ravens. Yeah. I think that that's definitely an encouraging thing, especially, you know, I mean, look, you know, this is a team that, as you said, you know, they didn't really play anybody down the stretch. They had some impressive wins. They had some wins that, you know, maybe we kind of throw away but they did face that bit of adversity early on and they overcame it and held Tennessee to three points after that. And that's a very, very good Tennessee offense. I will say this, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because again, maybe we can't really compare college football and the NFL too much. Ohio state wanted Clemson. They wanted that rematch. It's the game they really expected to have in the semifinal. They yep. were the better team. They made the adjustments. I think you make a case. They were the better team you know, in last year's semifinal too, but they made the adjustments. They won the game. It meant a lot to them. It was, I'm not going to say it was hard for them to get back up for Alabama, but you know, with Justin Fields hurt and you know, the COVID concerns, yeah. and all that, it was a very difficult thing for them. Baltimore wanted Tennessee, Tennessee pissed them off in the regular season, celebrating on the logo, the overtime win yeah. at the playoff game from the year before Baltimore wanted that game. And Obviously, it's the playoffs. Everybody wants to go to the Super Bowl and all of that. But I sort of wonder if you can at least draw some measure of a parallel where, you know, Buffalo got that playoff win. I'm not going to say they're playing with house money, but they're playing free and easy. And Baltimore really wanted to beat Tennessee and did it. You know, now they're on that short turnaround playing Saturday night. I wonder. Good I don't point. know if that comes into play or not. Maybe I'm just grasping at straws because there's not. No, I think it's, 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 you know. It's not a negative. I'll say, I always say that it's not a net. I mean, as far as Baltimore, if you're looking to back Buffalo, it's not a negative. It could be a negative for Baltimore back to back road games, short, you know, one less day of prep. I know if I have one day less prep for a weekend card, uh, if I'm sick one day, I feel like I'm ill-equipped. I mean, that's just me personally. And, and I look at it too. And, you know, Baltimore wasn't really pressured offensively by Tennessee. You know, and, and, and I think Buffalo can put some scoreboard pressure on Baltimore, which would force Jackson to throw a little bit more. We all know he doesn't want to do that. He's already kind of in a roundabout way expressed his concerns about, you know, if it's going to snow or be really cold there in Buffalo. So yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like that either. I, and so, you know, I just, the more I think about this game, the more I like the Buffalo side, like I said, I already played the minus two, but for people that do like Buffalo, I don't, 
know if if this gets to three and stays there. I think two and a half might kind of be the place where this thing hangs. Yeah. I think sharp money is going to come in on both sides of this game. And I know we're beating this game to death, but to me, it's easily the most interesting handicap and most interesting matchup of the weekend. I t- totally agree with that. Uh, you know, some are going to say it's the, you know, the Sunday late afternoon game, but we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, I, I, the only thing I could see getting to three because teasers are becoming more and more prominent and people are getting smart about teasers. The, the, you know, the public's getting smarter a little bit, at least that they're following, you know, shows that they should. Uh, maybe if a book has too much, you know, you know, I would say too much teaser action on Baltimore, especially if Green Bay comes through on the first leg. Maybe we do see a few books go to three just to protect themselves. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Definitely something to watch here. And again, it's a late game, you know, only two games on Saturday. So, yep. you know, late game, a lot of action, a lot of interest, a lot of intrigue. You know, which side does the volume of the money come in on? Is there an influential sharper position that, you know, does emerge and kind of takes center stage? I think there's really a lot going on with that game. Maybe not so much going on with this one here on Sunday, the first game between the Browns and the Chiefs. 10, we're starting to see some 10 and a halfs kind of show back up again, but predominantly 10 across the board. Total as high as 57 and a half now, Brad. That's a big old number for a playoff game. Yep. And I have no interest in betting the under. I really, of the four games, uh, this is my least you know confident pre-flop position, which you know, saying something because after I was watching, you know, the Browns score another touchdown against the Steelers, I'm thinking I want to play against Cleveland next week, but yet I don't want to lay 10 points to this Kansas city team. And you're thinking, wait, what the defending Super Bowl champs, the team with the best record in the NFL this year. I, I mean, they haven't, the chiefs haven't cleanly covered a game since November 1st. I mean, the, the, each of their last seven wins have come by six points or less. And you can say, oh, they're due for a blowout. But, I, you know, I don't trust the offense being off for the last couple of weeks, not just last week, but they rested most everyone for the Chargers game. I don't know if they're humming along uh, to, to start off the game. We've seen them with slow starts in, in several playoff games. And I, what's the mindset for Kansas City? Is it, you know, since they're laying 10, are we going to see a lot of urgency out of them? Like we, maybe we would if the, you know, the line wasn't, you know, double digits here in the playoffs. I just, I haven't seen any urgency out of this, you know, team almost all season. And that's the case. I don't want to lay double digits with them. I kind of, that's where I'm at here, probably a pizza bet. And, you know, it's probably more little Caesars than going out to a fancy uh, Italian restaurant type pizza, but I'm leaning with Cleveland here. Yeah. You know, you just, you look at Kansas city and, Look, you could start making a case for reasons why they didn't cover games. You know, they were in some bad spots at times. They were in some situations where they were playing against a really good team, something like that. But everything I look at with Kansas City here, like you said, I can't take them minus 10. You know, I mean, is this a bad spot? No, they're coming off of a bye. They struggled coming out of the bye last year. So they're fully aware of it. Then, of course, they wound up scoring 51 points in that game anyway. So you don't have to worry about complacency. You don't have to worry about any of the narrative type stuff with Kansas city here. Andy Reid off a of buy is exceptional. We all know that already, but when I start looking at this game and I look at the full body of work for Kansas city with the exception of, I would say the Baltimore game back in, in week three on September 28th, when they've played teams that have one elite or really good side of the ball, they've not covered. And the Browns, their defense is god-awful. I mean, it's yep. not good at all. But their offense has been elite 
over the last several weeks. When you look at the progression of Baker Mayfield on a game-by-game basis in terms of the play selection and play design, they've been exceptional in the passing game. They have one of the best running games in the NFL. This offense will put up points in this game. How many points does Kansas City have to score to run away and hide here? I think that's the big question that we have to try and answer if you want to get them covering 10. And I just, I don't see it. I don't see this Browns offense, you know, held in the 20s with everybody back in there. The offensive line should be good to go. The wide receivers are all back. When you think about the games they struggled, Giants game didn't really have the full offensive line. Jets game had no wide receivers of any great significance. The Pittsburgh game, they played extremely tight. They played not to lose. You know, otherwise, Tennessee, they hung a massive number. Pittsburgh hung a big number. You know, they've had games where they've really scored a lot of points, and I think they can do that again here this week. So, I'm not playing Cleveland team total over? I think Cleveland team total over is not a bad look. I think that's something that's a a decent decent look here for this game. Or just, you know, live betting. I, I, I talked about this on yesterday's show. I'm hoping for a really slow first quarter to live bet the over. Cause I, you know, if it's a slow first quarter, it's probably Kansas City shaking off the rust and the Browns, you know, just being in this big of a spot. But I think, you know, I'd look for a live over at that point over, you know, 50 and a half, 51, something like that. If we get a slow first quarter. Yeah. And I'll say this Cleveland's perfectly capable of keeping, you know, keep away from Kansas city with their run game. And, you know, Baker gets, you know, obviously is uh uh, <laughs> you either love Baker, or you hate him. Uh, one thing, I mean, one interception since October, uh, I mean, I certainly, and it's been out there, but you know, not having OBJ, not having to, to, to feed that mouth sort of say has been very good for the progression of Baker Mayfield. So yeah, I, you, you're talking me into it. Uh, you know, I, you know, not that it's going to be a big bet for me, but I could see Cleveland team total over here. And, and you know, again, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you look at Kansas City here, and, and like you said, you know, I mean, they've covered one out of their last, what, eight games? And we sit there and we think, okay. And even that was questionable. I mean, it was the, the, the Saints game, which was really dependent on what line you got. It was three most of the week, and then right before the game went down to two and a half. That's true. No, that's a good point. And, and you know, when I look at the Chiefs, it's can they flip the switch? You know, I mean, yep. this is a team plenty capable of doing it. I think Travis Kelsey player props are money here this weekend because the Browns have absolutely nobody that can cover that guy. And most teams don't, but you know, can Kansas city flip the switch and just all of the sudden, you know, be that team, be that reigning super bowl champ, especially when for the chargers game, they didn't play anybody. And when we think about what happened last year to Baltimore, not playing anybody in week 17, not playing anybody in the wildcard round, Tennessee thumped them, you know, early on in that game. Baltimore had a lot of yards in the second half and all that to make the box score look a lot better. Can Cleveland do the same here? Maybe. I don't know. But I certainly couldn't lay Kansas City. So it's Cleveland or nothing, but looking at more of the player prop and the derivative market, I think, is the way to go. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, one more game here. In the divisional round, Tampa Bay and New Orleans. New Orleans minus three. Most books showing minus 15 as far as the VIG goes for that one. Total of 52. And... Brad, I'll go ahead and I want to start with the total on this game because I think the influential money comes in on the under. I think the sharp side is the under here as we go into this game. And I think it's just kind of lying in wait. 
Yeah, I agree with it. Uh, I mean, certainly when you look at the, the two teams' defenses, uh, I mean, you got both in the top five. You're looking at, at DVOA uh, from the regular season. And to have a, a, you know, obviously the total's a little higher because both offenses are good. In fact, speaking of DVOA, I mean, I think the, the, the end of regular season rankings had the Saints one and the Bucks two. So obviously we've got a really good matchup here uh, from an advanced metric here. Yeah, I would say, you know, it should come down. Uh, you know, you look at the first two matchups, especially the second one. I mean, the, the, there's a lot to, as far as Tampa Bay success offensively, and that's where I'm going to kind of go in this direction. When they have played really good defenses, they have not performed well this year on the offense side of the ball. They're 0-5 against the spread against teams that have a top 10 defense. At least I, I follow DVOA. I'm not going to follow, uh, you know, a total yards per game. <laughs> I mean, a 1980 stat versus something that's much more advanced. But, I mean, they failed Tampa Bay to cover those five games by 12 points per game. I know two of them were against the Saints. But, uh, you know, I question whether or not Tampa Bay can be successful that at least, you know, as successful as what this total saying they can be. So I question that. So, yeah, I, I would certainly lean under. I'm surprised the money hasn't showed yet, but one thing that we've seen in the football market this year, a lot more money showing on game day than, than ever before. We used to see a lot of big positions being made on Thursday, and it just seems like we, we see a lot of early movement the first, like, day. I think there's a lot of people probably – and I'm probably to blame here that, that aren't afraid to take pieces that, you know, at a dime, two dimes, that that's what they're comfortable making. And we're seeing a lot of movement early in the week. And then we just don't see much like we used to when, when the market started really opening up on Thursdays and Fridays. That's an excellent point. And, you know, especially if it's going to be, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to call the under contrarian side, but with legal sports betting in the U S with all of the action that of course comes in globally in the offshore markets, there's a lot more money than ever before. So, you know, if you want to play an under or if you want to play a contrarian dog or a contrarian favorite or something like that, there is a lot of equity in being patient and just kind of waiting to see yeah. if you can get a 52 and a half to pop somewhere in the marketplace. If some book decides to dip a toe in those waters, go up to that number just to see what kind of happens. There is a lot of equity in being patient and, you know, betting on game day, when you get the full spectrum of what's happening, of the injury reports of, of course, COVID, you know, in this very unique season, there is a lot of equity in doing that. So maybe this does hit 52 and a half at some point. And then before the game on Sunday, we do kind of get some of that under money. But from what you just said there about Tampa Bay's struggles against top 10 defenses, are you looking to lay the New Orleans minus three here? I am. I mean, this is my strongest pre-flop side or total position that I made. I am going to lay the three. And I think it's the only reason it's not three and a half is this whole, it's tough to beat a team three times in one year. And I think that's just utter crap. Uh, I just, I, you don't have a huge sample size, but uh, I went through it. I think there's been seven other times where it's happened where a uh, team's won the first two matchups and looking to make it a third time. I think the team that won the first two is like five and two. Uh, so, again, it's tough to beat a team three times in a season. Well, not if you're superior to that team. We see it in college basketball. The team that won the first two games uh, usually wins the third game like 77 percent of the time. It's like 71 or 72 percent. I just think, you know, New Orleans just didn't win those two games. They dominated, especially the second one. And they led by as much as 17, uh, you know, in the opener. And, you know, I got the, to me from a, uh, 
a, a pure power rating. I don't think they have the highest upside as maybe a Kansas City if the Chiefs finally want to play up, you know, up to their capability. But right now, I got to go with what I've seen through 16, 17 games and offense, defense, special teams. I think the Saints are the best team in the NFL. I got the best team in the NFL, and I know I normally don't have the the the, the dome advantage that, that I'd like to have there as far as the crowd, but. I, they've already proven to be the much better team. And, uh, you know, it's not like they, they, they've been perfectly healthy all year. They've missed Breeze for a few games, three of their top four wide receivers. Uh, a healthy Saints team to me uh, should not be laying three. This number should be three and a half. So because it's a, the key number in football, three and seven, I got to take a position here on the Saints. Do you think it stays three or do you think three and a half does show up? Uh, yeah, I think, well, that's a man. You asked me these questions. Yeah, I think some three and a half show up. I'll just put it that way. I don't think it's. I'll just put it this, and I'm not making a strong position here. I don't think it's three and a half across the board. I think you know Tampa Bay is a very public side with Tom Brady and whatnot. You know, Tampa Bay, you know, has been hot down the stretch. Although I'd I'd argue they really haven't played anybody. Uh, so you know, since the bye. So yeah, I again Saints. And another thing, you know, the Saints were, were much more dominant than the twenty-one-nine final last week i mean <laughs> if you gave me that box score i would have said the saints won by four touchdowns not 12 points well it should be a lot of fun here for the divisional round and it's always a lot of fun on ats radio chatting with professional better and handicapper. wait where are you on this game hold on i i, okay. I value your opinion all right fine so my initial thought at first was tampa bay because since the bye and i know they've played some really bad defenses in that in that span they've sort of realigned their offensive focus here where they're not throwing as many low percentage, deeper balls for Brady. They're throwing a lot more underneath stuff, letting Williams and Godwin create separation, kind of using the running game a little bit more. They're, they're sort of doing what a lot of really efficient offenses in the NFL yeah. do move it five, six, seven yards at a time with really high percentage stuff that Brady at this stage of his career can handle. The more I started thinking about it, that's basically the scheme that the Saints face in practice every single day. You know, Breeze is not a downfield threat anymore. They use Kamara with swing passes, extension of, you know, the running game. They go ahead and run Kamara. They run Murray. They throw a lot of, you know, slant and out stuff to Michael Thomas. Maybe they take that occasional deep shot to keep the defense honest. But Tampa Bay is attempting to do what New Orleans has done really, really well for several years in a row. And I think that this New Orleans defense very capable of keeping everything in front of them, not having missed tackles, not having blown assignments. You know, and, and that's the important thing too, is you can start with a position early in the week, something you kind of like, something you kind of lean. And then just as you process your handicap more, maybe you come off of that side. And I've heard a lot of influential people poke holes in Tampa Bay, poke holes in where they're rated from a DVOA standpoint because of some of their outliers, like the game against Green Bay. And you know, New Orleans is a team that, when their defense gets going, they are very, very good. And I I believe I said when New Orleans kind of got that defense going earlier in the year that I thought the Saints were the best team in the NFC. And I thought the Rams were the second best team in the NFC, you know, with the way that their defense was playing. I still think New Orleans probably is the best team here in the NFC. I think Green Bay is probably second now, uh, the Rams being third. So, you know, I just look at this game and, and I think that, you know, three might be a little bit cheap. I think it is probably down a little bit because the saints only had 5.1 yards per play last week against the bears, but you know, they had a lead. They kind of squatted on it. It is what yeah. it is. 
I just, I look at this one and I started liking Tampa Bay early in the week, thought it would come down to two and a half, never really did. And seeing three on the Saints and seeing the extra juice on the Saints and just handicapping the game in my mind, I agree with you. I'm aligned on that side looking at New Orleans. Thank you. I think the audience thanks you. Yeah, right? You thank me me because you're not going to owe me dinner on this game. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I didn't know why you weren't saying anything. I was like, man, to me, I'm thinking, oh, he must be on the other side. He doesn't want to get in a big argument uh, with me uh, to to wrap up the show. But all right. I I mean, I value your opinion. I know the audience does. I was just wondering. No, I appreciate that. Uh, I don't mind arguing with you. I mean, usually I I win the argument, so it works out pretty well in my favor. But it makes (laughs) It makes for good radio when we're not yeah. you know, always on the same sides. But, you know, on the other hand, too, sometimes it's kind of comforting to be on the same sides because it means that, you know, we're kind of we see things the same way. And, you know, you've had a lot of success in this business. And, you know, I, I like to think that I've had a lot of success in my you know niche in the business here being a content creator. So, you know, it's nice to be on the opposite side. Sometimes it's nice to be on the same side sometimes. And we'll see what happens here with this late Sunday game. I guess one thing I didn't ask you about, and I can do that real quickly here, is uh, college basketball. You know, how how much have you dove into that? And, you know, what do you sort of feel like you've kind of picked up on here as the season's gotten going? Yeah, real quick. I mean, I, I'm almost fully in. I, you know, obviously got to dot, dot some I's, cross some T's uh, on the college football here. But, uh, you know, one thing that's at least unique to this year, it's not like you got prior sample sizes, these immediate rematches in a, in a bunch of conferences. And, and we haven't had too many of them, but now we are. A lot of these conferences, that's all you're going to see for the rest of the season. And, and it's really picked up here in the last two weeks. And, you know, I'm not, you know, breaking news here, but one thing I wanted to see, was if the favorite loses game one outright, I got to think that they're refocused game two, especially if it's a back-to-back, you're the superior team, you just lost game one. I can't lose two games against this team. How do they do? It's only a 40-game sample size, and it's going to get you know much bigger as we move along. But, I mean, 63% against the spread. If the favorite loses game one in the immediate rematch, and this is zero days rest because a lot of these teams are having one day in between and whatnot, it's much stronger if it's a true back-to-back. You're playing consecutive days or nights. But, uh, yeah, 63%. You know, last three that I played have won. Uh, I'm going to continue playing it. So uh, <laughs> the, the problem is – uh, I don't think it, they get, I don't think it's going to get overplayed too much in the market because look at the conferences that are doing it. Uh, a lot of low level, kind of the added board type of conferences. So I don't unless they really get hot and they're and it's you know in the seventy some percent range. I don't think you're going to be paying too much of a premium at least in the next couple of weeks. No, and when you look at a line comparison of those, the the line generally doesn't deviate much from what it was the day before. Maybe the spread moves a half point or a point. Maybe it moves to respect the action of the previous day or to respect, you know, the outcome, something like that. But yeah, I mean, when a favorite loses a game that they're supposed to win, look at the box score. Find out the reason why. Was the other team 12 of 27 from three? No, probably not happening the next night. So I think that makes a lot of sense, especially sort of looking at, you know, buying back on the favorite there, taking them against the spread. Uh, good angle there, and I'm glad you mentioned that uh, on today's show. You mentioned a lot of good stuff over at bradpowersports.com, the home of the Powers Picks newsletter, and also on your Twitter page, at Brad Powers and the number seven. Tell people what they can expect if they follow you on social media or if they, uh, you know, head over to the website. Yeah, social media, I mean, if you don't want to give me anything, I mean, what you will get is, you know, I, I – 
I think I'm a good follow on Twitter and I'm not a big ego guy, but I, you know, I tweet a lot of historical outliers, you know, some trends, but you know, some things that I'm thinking about, especially as we, you know, moving in the off season, cause I'm a college football guy first, you know, I'll have some, the old Saturday night live, Jack candy, deep thoughts. I'll have some deep thoughts, you know, specifically with college football betting, but also as I'm easing into college basketball, I'll give you plenty of data stuff to, to look at there. That's on Twitter. And if you like that, if you say, yeah, this guy's all right. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. You want to check out my newsletter. First off, you can download all past issues for free. You can see what I've done and compiled over the years. And if you like what you see as far as the newsletter, there is uh, an early bird special for next season. You'll get the rest of this season as far as the NFL playoffs and all of next season for 69 bucks. College football, NFL, every single game. I cover it. Every single football game. So, uh, and you can get my top uh, picks of the week as well, 55% over six years. That's not too shabby. Check it out at bradpowersports.com. And I think something else that's really great about that Powers Picks newsletter is that as you're doing all of your spring work here and your prep work getting ready for the season, you'll release, you know, some data yep. that could be kind of market shaping. So that, that's a good reason for people to get involved as well, you know, because again, you know, you and I have talked about this a million times over that the college football betting market has accelerated timelines. You know, win totals will probably come out late April, early May, yep. maybe not as early with the transfer portal being, you know, as big as it's going to be this year. But a lot of those numbers do come out very early on in the process. And I know that, you know, when most people are looking at March Madness and, you know, MLB and all that kind of thing, you're looking at college football and you do release some of that stuff in your newsletter as well. Yeah, I do. I, I do a spring football guide and it really gets you a, a jump start. It'll have my early power ratings. Uh, it'll have all your team schedules and whatnot, some some early thought processes on a lot of teams. And that usually comes out in mid-March. I know everyone at that time is thinking college basketball, and I am too, uh, but – I mean, once you get to the tournament, I mean, you only got like, you know, 60 some games to handicap when, I mean, on a college basketball Saturday uh, in January, February, you got a hundred games alone on that day alone. So that that extra time in March frees me up and I I start really transitioning to almost all football, even though it's only March. Very much looking forward to that. Very much looking forward to our segment next week with Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper from bradpowersports.com. Brad, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. There you go. There's Brad Powers. Once again, make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Brad Powers and the number seven. A lot of good insight and analysis from him on today's show, as well as when you follow him on social media. Coming up on our Friday edition of ATS Radio, the one, the only, Dave Sherapan, at Sportsbook Consigliere on Twitter. We'll talk with him about some just stories he has from the business. We'll talk to him about being on the other side of the counter for so long, how he, you know, uses that with his own personal handicapping here and chat with him about the four divisional round games in the NFL. Should be a lot of fun chatting with Dave on tomorrow's show. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.